This is the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and Risk Management video and podcast. You'll meet world-class leading professionals who share their wisdom, careers, and experiences. Join us on YouTube and all quality podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and Radio Public. Welcome everybody to the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and Risk Management Podcast. It is my honor to have Todd DeVoe with us today. He is the Director of Emergency Management at Titan Health and Security Technologies. He's also the founder of the EM Weekly, which is an incredible podcast with over 170 episodes thus far. Very, very impressive, Todd. Todd's also a Navy medic on the board of the Red Cross and as I found out, did a TEDx talk as well. And when I watched that, I heard something that Todd said. He said that critical reflection and resources make a leader able to respond. I thought that was brilliant. And I, one thing that's really supremely awesome about you, Todd, is you play rugby. That makes you a men above men. So thanks very much for being with us, Todd. Uh, thank you for, for having me here. It's, it's my pleasure. Hey, look, I'd love to know how you came into the industry. I know that you're in the Navy as a medic, but let us know how you came into the industry and some of your experiences in emergency response. Sure. So my story goes back um, kind of far, right? Um, where I grew up in upstate New York, we had volunteer fire departments. We didn't have, well, we had paid like in some of the cities and stuff, but most of the villages and, and what around it, um, had volunteer fire departments. And my dad owned a restaurant that was right next to the fire station. So I got to know a lot of the fire guys and stuff, you know, you know, growing up and, and it's the volunteer fire department back in, in New York and upstate New York. It's a culture. Um, it's not just you're a firefighter. It's, it's a, it's a way of life, I suppose. And so, um, I had a couple of my, uh, uh, my brother-in-laws were in a volunteer fire department guys. So it's something that I knew that at some point that I wanted to do and the convenience of having my restaurant, my dad's restaurant right next door to the, to the station. Uh, as soon as I turned 18, the, uh, the fire chief said, Hey, when are you going to join? And I went over and I signed paperwork. And next thing I know, I was going through a fire academy in the summertime and there it was, I became a volunteer firefighter. And so I was bitten as for public service at a young age. Um, and then from there, um, I joined the Navy and I became a corpsman, uh, which is a medic. Uh, I became a corpsman with the Navy, uh, still love service. I uh, got out of the Navy, stayed in Southern California and married a young lady. I've been married for her with her for it'll be 22 years in, in August. And uh, um, yeah, Thanks so we just kind of... Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, it's, it's, it's been... It's always great, and she's a wonderful person for keep for putting up with me for for that long. So, I have to appreciate that. Um, and then, so I I started doing. I was a paramedic here in in California, um, and on some of the larger fires, we would. So I wasn't a firefighter; I was just a paramedic, and um, we would support the fires in doing various different things. Some I started off just by sitting around waiting. Hopefully, no one got hurt, and but if somebody did, we were there to support them. And then as I got moved up into, the, into my role, um, at one point I started doing, working in the emergency operations center, doing medical logistics, you know, getting, so making sure that we have medics at, at the location, making sure that we have equipment, ordering equipment. And then uh, one of the larger fires that we had at the time, 
um, I, I actually was the logistics guy, uh, chief. They, they kind of promoted me and said, hey, we need you there. You got those, the skills. Please do this for us. And I was working for a city um, doing logistics at nighttime. So, uh, and it, and it kind of just, I like the idea of being in the emergency operations center, kind of overseeing everything that was from, from my end. And it kind of, it kind of bit me again to go that direction. So I came to an opportunity where I was actually in backgrounds, uh, getting ready to go to the fire Academy. Um, and a job came available to be a full-time emergency manager for the city of Dana point. And I took that job instead of the fire department and I never looked back. So that's my role in emergency management. That's how I got there. Wow. And so how long were you with Orange County? Um, from 2005 until, um, well, uh, my last, my last role in Orange County was at the um, Saddleback Police Department. And that was just uh, 2019. So 2005, 2019, I, I was emergency management in Orange County. Yeah. Wow. You must so have seen a number of experiences that you went through and coordinated. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we have like, like, you know, like any Australia has them every year and we have them every year and other parts of the world does too. We have fires um, every year that we're, we're going about every other year, I suppose, you know, when we really burn down Orange County uh, once the, you know, the fuel gets there and then, spontaneously or sometimes not spontaneously it depends on how it started the the fire starts and so it it, it it's it definitely tests you and the cool part about my job in orange county was i learned a lot about emergency management for planning for this is sounds sounds conspiracy theorist but it's not <laughs> for a nuclear power plant to melt down um because we had a nuclear power plant still there technically it's no longer function as a power plant but we have a nuclear power plant um, at the border of Orange County and San Diego County, right by the, uh, it's very famous actually. It's been in lots of movies. It's the San Onofre Nuclear Generation Station. It's two large cones, you know, um, that are right there. And they're in movies, you know, people drive by them on the freeway all the time. Very famous uh, location, right? Good surf spot too, by the way. Uh, the the San Onofre surfing spots. So if you guys are surfers, you got to hit that. You know, that's where old man's is and stuff. So anyway, so um, we were practicing and preparing for that to, to, to have an issue. And if you think about preparing for something, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's a fire, whether it's whatever it is, if you're planning for something that is so catastrophic that, that's the biggest thing you can plan for. You're going to be so well prepared for the small events. Mm. So a large fire compared to a nuclear meltdown is a, is a small event, right? So it makes us way better. And I think Orange County was very, very well prepared to respond to almost anything um, because every year we had an exercise based upon the nuclear power plant. And every other year we had a graded exercise by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and FEMA on how we can handle uh, that that nuclear meltdown, and then of course because we would help out our our um, counterparts in Northern California over in San um, in San Luis Obispo uh, with the Diablo uh, nuclear power station, and so we would actually every year we would actually be part of the graded exercise because we would go up and help them each other, you know, kind of help out with, with that. So it really kept us really well prepared to respond to, to anything. I, I could, I'll tell you, I'll put those two EOCs and they could, there's nothing that they can't handle. 
Right. Hey, share with us about um, the different types of agencies you would have to work for when you're preparing for those different types of emergencies with the nuclear power plant and how that works. Oh, yeah. That's actually really interesting. Um, so, obviously, each jurisdiction that is within this 10-mile radius of a nuclear power plant has play in it. So, in some areas, it's lucky because they only have, like, one county that they're dealing with um, in some you know, nuclear power plants, but in Orange County specifically, there's one, two counties. So you have San Diego County and you have Orange County. You have uh, three cities. So you have um, San Onofre. So you have San Clemente. Um, San Onofre is in San Clemente. And then you have San Juan Capistrano and you have Dana Point that are all impacted by, uh, by that. Then you have the, uh, the Camp Pendleton, the Marine Corps base uh, Camp Pendleton, right? And so you're dealing with the federal government there with the military, DOD, DOE, Department of, of Energy. Um, you have the state beach, which is right there. So now you have state beach law enforcement, parks, parks law enforcement. Orange County um, with their issues, right, with the Sheriff's Department, um, which is really kind of convenient because the Sheriff's Department actually covered the three cities. So there's only one, well, the one sheriff's department we had to deal with, um, the CHP, the, the California Highway Patrol, because of the freeways. You have uh, Caltrans, the California Transit Authority, which takes care of the freeways. Um, you have, oh, who else? Um, you have the, uh, the, the parks department as well because of evacuation and things like this. Uh, am I missing anything? There's probably a couple in there that I probably... Uh, FEMA, obviously, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Uh, State, Cal OES, so I forgot about those guys. Those pretty big players in this whole game. Um, oh, the National, um, the national uh, Forests, right? Because there's two right. national forests that are right there. So that agency also has stake in the game as well. And uh, probably... Well, we're going to coordinate with Riverside because there's some evacuations going into there. So yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. It's not just, you know, one person making decisions, you know, um, Department of Health. So our health department in Orange County, the Department of Health for, oh, and oh, Edison. Oh, gosh, it's their nuclear power plant. So you can't forget about um, Edison in the case of, for us, um, and a PG&E for, for Northern California. So yeah, <laughs> so there's a lot of people in that room. Uh, and there's a lot of a lot of people that have various different opinions and various different mm. uh, um, needs, right? Mm. So obviously the the need of Camp Pendleton to keep operational ready for 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 war, what that's what they practice, right? Is is going to be highly so DOE and or DOD, I mean. Um, Edison, obviously, they have their their needs, right? I mean, they're outside of the the fact that they're trying to generate power uh, for everybody, you know, that's the thing, but they also have their, their shareholders and whatnot that, that they're going to be concerned about. Right. So making decisions are going to be, may not be in the same realm that we're thinking of as public safety, you know, um, the health department, they have a whole complete different take on it because obviously they're doing rad health, right? So they're looking at uh, radionuclear biological type stuff coming up um, out of the, out of the thing. So they have a whole, worries that that as you know in our EOCs we're not concerned about and then each each city has their own concerns right 
we talk about evacuation. Who gets to go first? Should it be the person who's closest to the nuclear power plant or the person that's furthest away? Like, you know, what, who goes? So there's a lot of those conversations that are happening. Um, every, every, every month when we had our monthly meetings and stuff like, you know, so it doesn't, it's not just a one and done. It's continuous. It's a continuous, but again, that makes you more prepared to respond to an easy one, small earthquake or something. So you had a monthly meeting representatives of all those. I think I got 13 different agencies or organizations down. And so, no, I'm going to forgot one or two. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have a, a monthly meeting, you communicate, you think about the different situations and what the process is going to be. Mm-hmm. And so how do you decide who's in charge and do you separate things? How do you do that? You know, I, I mean, we, we, we really looked at it as a unified decision-making body, right? Um, so we literally had a, a bat phone, if you will, right? We had this yellow phone and, I, and I, it was only yellow because I think they bought it surplus. That's why they're all yellow. There's no, <laughs> there's no, no reason why it's yellow, just that it is. And so we had these yellow phones and if we picked them up, it would be direct dial, right? And so when that phone rang, it's, it kind of made your heart sink a little bit. Um, you, you know, cause like you're like, Ooh, you know, and so you pick it up and there's no, you don't dial anything. You just pick it up and it dials, right. It goes right to the, to the phones. So everybody gets on that phone at one time and they, and they, and they can talk about what's going on. So realistically, you know, the County, I, I guess a, as a city, we would probably defer to the County on, on some decisions, uh, on our decision to, um, do things specifically for the city jurisdiction. Now our emergency planning zone is really kind of unique in a sense because Dana Point, the city that I worked for, wasn't completely in that 10 mile evacuation zone. We really only had a small cut into it, almost like a half moon shape into the city, probably two, three miles into the city. So technically, once you get past that two, three mile point, you're no longer in the emergency planning zone, you know, we're not responsible. But um, before I got there, the city met, the city said, Hey, no, if we're going to be any part of the city is touched by this, we are going to consider it the entire city, which is the, the right decision. I hmm. think you know, it's hard to say, Hey, you're on golden lantern. You're safe. You're on blue lantern. You need to evacuate. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Right. So, um, we took it the whole entire city. So our EPZ is not necessarily a nice circle. It kind of has like a little bubble off to the side of it. That's data point. And, um, and so it all comes down to, you know, you know, our, our planning process and what we would do specifically the, for the city and, and how, you know, but then, you know, like everything else, nuclear, it doesn't just stay within that. There's no like stops at the border and the, the, the nuclear Radiation goes. Oh, I, I can't go further than silly ten miles. That's all I get to do. Now, I mean, there's. It's probably, you know, it depends on who you speak to and and how the winds are and what the, you know, the weather is at that particular day. It could go up to fifty miles of 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 rate of initial impact, and of course, then it can go further. So to think about Fukushima, right? I mean, we're still kind of dealing with some of the issues that that came are still right. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that thing has been completely tamed yet. So we're still dealing with the issues with Fukushima that, you know, into the water services, you know, the, are the fish around it really and still impacted and things like this, you know? So it's not just that one and done. It's, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts when it comes to 
who's in charge. Um, at some point, the DOE is going to come in and say that they're in charge of things, you know. Right. Um, and then, of course, at some point, the federal government is probably, like, when I say that, the FEMA um, in, could. Uh, it's highly unlikely because it's not the way they work, they run. But they could eventually take take command of the entire thing if it gets into where we can't make decisions or don't have the money. So, so it, it I would say DOE at some point would probably, you know, and this is just my opinion. This is, we haven't played out right because we haven't had a nuclear knock on knock on wood. We haven't had a nuclear power issue, but I mean at some point DOE probably would come in and put their thumbs on the thing and say, this is what we're going to do because this is what the rules, but we've, we like I said, we've been coordinated with those guys all, all the way along. So I don't think it would be too shocking when things go down. I think the, we know the decision makers, we've gone to DC to, to talk to them. They come to us. Um, you know, you know, we follow the regulations and, and realistically at the end of the day, Edison is the one who's on the hook for everything uh, or PG&E in, in Northern California. You know, they're the ones that are going to have to pay for everything and whatnot. So, that's sort of the process. Tell us about the idea behind Titan and what you're doing with Titan. Sure. I, I'm actually really excited about Titan HST. And um, so I moved on to higher education um, to, to be emergency management there. And that was by design. I, something that I, I've, I've always had a feeling that I, I liked higher ed. I, I, you know, I got, obviously I got an advanced degree. I, I, I really kind of, uh, uh, enjoy being uh, in that in that nexus, and so um, when I had the opportunity to take a position um, at a university, I took it, and we were looking for a solution for our uh, mass notification system, and uh, Titan was the one that we chose. And for I mean, I looked at probably I don't know, I have to say over fifteen different mass notification systems, and and um, Titans just seemed to fit the bill for what we were looking for. We're not a very, we weren't a very large university. So, um, you know, it wasn't like we need to have a, a huge system to, to which Titan can do, but um, to run through. And some of the systems that they're trying to sell us were like way more than what we ever could possibly need. And Titan is so flexible in the size of, of what it can be. And so that being said, um, it's so easy to use and, and not that I'm a Lodite by any means, but um, you know, it's a point and click. And if I, I tell people, if I could figure out how to use it pretty quickly on my phone, uh, you know, it's fairly easy to use. Right. And it's app based. Um, so kind of rewind a little bit. We were looking at putting in, I don't know if you've ever guys have them um, around the world, but we have these things that are called blue phones. That's so what they're commonly turned to. It's kind of like saying Kleenex for, for tissue paper. It's a pole um, that has a light on top of it and has a phone inside of it or a push button. And if there's an emergency, you can run over to that phone and push the button and, um, you know, go to dispatch. Really great before cell phones came out, right? Because like not everybody had some sort of phone with them. You know, now everybody has your phone on you, your communication device. And so if somebody is trying to get you, right, like do something bad to you, you'd have to run through the parking lot, maybe over some hedgerows, which in the case of where we're at, we had hedgerows in between our our parking lot. So you'd have to run, maybe do some Olympic leaping over hedgerows. And I'm, I'm a little rotund nowadays. So I'd probably crash into the bushes and hurt myself that way. And the bad guy would get me. So I, so this, this, this takes us away, right? Now you have an app on your phone where you just push one button and it alerts dispatch. And the cool part about it is it's going to dispatch, right? Which in, and it's going to our campus safety officers at the exact same time. 
So it relieves that friction point of having to call dispatch, say, hey, I'm being chased by this gorilla, right? The gorilla got out of the zoo. It's chasing me. Um, you know, here's my location. Now we push this button. It geolocates you, right? And this, this, the dispatch gets it the same time the officers get it. The officers can start heading over to where you're at and, and help you escape that, you know, yeah, like a gorilla that's chasing you through the parking lot. So it, it really comes out that this is really safe for our students. And so I loved it. And, and when the opportunity came for me again to, to go work for them. So Vic, the CEO of Titan uh, asked me to come work for him and, and I did. And uh, now I'm here. <laughs> so I love that idea because I think technology enables friction points and barriers to safety to be removed, lowered, speeds up communication. What are some of the other things that you're doing where you've you know, you've used the software or used the system and the resources to solve a problem? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's the, the, the biggest call that we get on these things for the mass notification side of it is, is medical emergencies. And so there are Two things that we, we added to Titan um, over the last about eight weeks now. Um, when we were working on this thing called Team or Telemed, it's called TMED for us. It's our, our brand that we use. And um, so that allows doctors, just kind of like what we're doing here, um, sort of through Zoom, if you will, but it's secure. And it's so we in, Cal, in, the, in California, in the United States, we have this law called HIPAA. And it basically protects our. Um, our insurance, our information. Um, so, you know, doctors can't say, Hey, you know, the celebrity is, is this, or there's some things that are there to, to protect you uh, from getting information and also for work, right? Like if you're going through some problems, medical problems, um, you're, you're, you don't want your employer to know about it. Um, the doctor can't, can't share this information. So it has to keep everything very, very secure. And so zoom is not a, is not a HIPAA compliant, um, device. And so through our TMED, it, it is. And so it's also in the same system, uh, the same, same app, if you will. And then now over the last, um, gosh, I want to say seven, eight days, uh, what we've done is we've created a, for COVID-19, uh, we created trace, um, so COVID trace uh, tracking um, with, with that. And it wasn't something that we set out to do. Uh, it was something that we we're doing for for other reasons. And we looked at it in a meeting and said, hey, this could be used very quickly uh, for, for COVID. So Apple and, and, and Google have created the idea of using your phone to phone. So if we're, if we're Craig and I are in the same room, um, it says, okay, your phones touch each other. I come down with COVID and then now we know who I, my phone spoke to. Right. Mm -hmm. In this case, we have these little, um, about the size of a, uh, about the size, maybe I was going to say silver dollar, maybe a little smaller, um, device that's a beacon. And so the beacon actually picks up your phone. Um, so if I was in the room, say a computer lab doing something and I walked away, you came in an hour later, I sneezed all over the place cause I'm, I'm bad. You know, I'm not a clean person. I'm not just like cover my mouth. Right. And I've suddenly come down with COVID. Um, you, we could go back and say, where have you been? Right. And then we could find out everybody else who came into that during that time period right. and said, okay, let's get you tested as well. It's nothing that's, it's so funny because you hear people talk about tracing right now because it's like, Oh, this, 
this new thing. It's not new. It's been around for a few decades. I mean, you know, the CD or the WHO has used it forever with Ebola and some other uh, uh, chemical diseases type things from across the world. So it just, it's actually, instead of being on paper and you have to think of every place you went and you can start investigating every place that somebody's been to, uh, it just, it just makes it automated and faster. And it's, it's not about tracking. It's not about tracing anybody. It's not about like following you around. There's none of that associated with it. And a matter of fact, our platform is, is very privacy centric. We don't share data with anything outside of, of, of the company that, that you're working for or who you're doing business with. It, it's, it, it's very, very secure. It's about keeping people healthy uh, at the end of the day. And it's about making sure that I know that if I was sick and I had the opportunity to save other people from going through the process that I would want them to know where I was and that Craig, that they'll be able to find you very quickly instead of having to go, Oh, I, I'm very bad with time. Right. So it's, Oh yeah, I was in the computer lab, but I don't know what time I went in. I didn't track it. You know, I don't remember you know, maybe an hour, maybe whatever. Right. So this way it's like, Oh no, he was there for two hours. He went in at eight in the morning. You know, he was done. Craig came in at nine in the morning. Um, and so that's probably a good crossover. We're going to be able to find him and at least start the process. Let him know that there's a possibility that he's, he's sick or at least came in contact with it. And, and it's, you know, I, I just see how it can, it can be helpful, you know? Yeah. Just <laughs> Great tool. Hey Todd, um, what I'm going to do is at the end of the show and with the show notes, I'm going to make sure we have links to um, Ian Weekly, to the podcast and the resources you got, which is fantastic. And I see that you also help people to do their own podcasts as well, which is great, <laughs> leveraging what you do. Just before we wrap up, I'd love to hear some career advice or wisdom from you for either a fresh graduate or someone that wants to get into this, this industry. Sure. You know, that's actually one of my favorite things. So I teach as well. Um, I teach at UCI, the University of California, Irvine. Uh, we have a brand new um, emergency management program over there. Uh, I've been teaching at Coastline Community College for 10 years, which is a, a undergrad program, obviously. <clears throat> um, and I, I just, I love sharing emergency management. It's, it's a passion of mine. It's, and then I, I'm getting older here uh, and the next generation coming up behind us uh, is it's really important for them to learn from, from our mistakes as an industry, we're very young. Um, I mean, we could go back to our civil defense days, um, you know, in the 1950s and right after World War II, I suppose, or even even during World War II, um, worldwide, if you think about, you know, at least the Western world, uh, of, of some of the things that we used with like the, the, the uh, air wardens and things like that, that kind of how we developed our, uh, who we are. However, um, we're professionalizing now. It's, it's no longer the person who used to be a firefighter, um, you know, maybe got hurt in the job or the law enforcement officer who, you know, no, no longer can do that job for whatever reason. And then they put him in the plug of, of emergency management. It's, it, it is definitely a, a profession that has a lot of nuance to it. And you have to have skills, not only just as a practitioner in emergency management, but you have to be able to sell your programs to the public. You have to be able to ask the your bosses to be able to spend money on something they might not want to spend money on at this time, almost like insurance, and they may never use, right? And so, you know, in New Zealand, obviously, and in, in the United States, uh, other parts of the world too, Japan, you know, we, we earthquake is a serious uh, threat for us, right? And But they don't happen every year, you know, or they happen 
the large ones don't happen every year. I guess they happen every day, right? But the large ones don't happen every year. So we're asking for those, you know, for the big one to be be taken care of and, and maybe it might not have to be done. But it's the idea here is that you have to be able to have be able to articulate that to them in, in a way that is not scary. And, and I really kind of want to, people to move away from that, but in, in a pragmatic way of why you need to be able to do this. So my advice to you, if you could read one book this year, right? Read Simon Sinek's Why, right? And in that book, it says, find your why. Why do you do this? What makes you want to be an emergency manager, right? What drives you to be that emergency manager? Because once you know your why and you're able to tell their people why you do what you do, right? It's going to be, you, you're going to be able to, to land a position wherever they're hiring. Because when you talk to somebody and you have the passion for doing emergency management and it's not just this career move for you. It's definitely because I mean, there's some jobs out there that you can get. You're not going to get paid a lot of money, right? It's your, your, if you want to be an emergency manager, that's what you want to do. You're, you're not going to be a millionaire. I I just want to break that to you right now. Okay. You can do well, (laughs) but you're not going to be a millionaire. You could be, you're not going to starve to death, but you, right. And so to have that passion, to be able to do that and to be able to articulate that to people, I think that is going to be the biggest way to break into the career and then read and read. And then when you think you're done reading, read more. If you, I don't know if you can see behind me or not, but I have books and books up here and I have, I have another set of bookshelves over there and I, I'm, I'm, I have papers I, I download and I read the magazines and the journals and uh, you just got to keep reading and understand where it's at because it's not, you're a life learner, right? As an emergency manager, you are a life learner. And if you don't, if you don't like to be a life learner, again, it's the wrong career for you. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy conversations like this and, and go out and meet people and take classes and travel if you can. And if you can go to the conferences and, you know, if you can't go to the to live, do do these, um, uh, the, the virtual ones, if you can make them, I, I just meet people and network and, and just then learn. Awesome. That's fantastic advice. Todd, really want to thank you for your time. I know you're busy. Thanks for giving us your wisdom and your experiences as well. It was my pleasure and thanks for connecting. Have a great day.